Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret and Blue podcast. I'm Dan Ronson and this is part two of Claret and Blue Live. I'm re-recording this part of the intro because my microphone I used on the night wasn't very good, annoyingly. Um, so I will stick some subtitles on screen at any difficult to hear parts as well. The second half of the show was a Q&A with the live studio audience. It could be questions on fans, players, Matt Kendrick's favourite takeaway, whatever it might be. Apologies if you listen to this on the audio version, but I will turn up the volume as best I can. So yeah, enjoy the second half of the show and let's uh, hear the first question. Hello, evening gents. Uh, we'll start with yourself, Matt. So, uh, my dad wasn't a football fan at all. So, my start to football was the Birmingham Mail, the Evening Mail. And go back reading Grand Pablo and Gal joining and all that kind of stuff. And yourself, Matt, how has it changed from your time there, seeing now, particularly with the podcast and the fact that a lot more eyes are brought to the product, as you said before, where we can talk as fans, but also bring ourselves to the newspaper. For you now seeing that difference, and okay, not typing all the time, as you said, um, but you're part of all this. What change have you seen in the last 20, 30 years over the um, really interesting, really, really interesting question. Actually, I think the local paper, and you know, I think people probably got more fondness with the August, probably Sports August, than, than the Mail itself. But back back then, clubs didn't really have their own avenues to promote tickets, to promote merchandise, stuff like that. So they probably needed us more. So. In that sense, it was more reciprocal. They gave us more. They gave us more access. There was only probably the, the media pack, the press pack was smaller. You'd probably get a couple of locals, a couple of nationals, and you know, BRMB, WM stuff like that. Now there's so many people and so many different kind of media outlets and fan sites and bookmakers and all these type of things who are competing and jostling for space. Clubs don't need you. They've got their own platform. They can put their message out there. So I don't know. I don't know whether I'm a really, well, not a really good journalist. I don't know whether I'm a good journalist or a terrible journalist. But I've always turned up to press conferences, to interviews, the way I write, the way I talk. I said this. I said this in the in the bar earlier. If Aston Villa or any football club were buying thousands of copies of our newspapers or visiting our website a million times, they can control the message. But they're not it's readers it's fans so I want to go and ask the questions that a fan would want to ask and it puts you on a collision course sometimes and I've fallen out with so many people to the extent and Ash gets this a little bit now that it's our club you know we probably are a bit too kind of passionate as Villa fans but we turn up and because you're the one who's a bit awkward and you ask, ask the uncomfortable question you turn up to your own football club thinking they don't want me here that's horrible. You know, you, you've kind of worked to try and get this job. If you can't play for Villa, getting paid to write about Villa, in my mind, is the next best thing. But you want to do your job and ask the questions that fans would ask, but it makes you feel 
feel awkward really so like i said earlier i'm a little bit lucky now because i'm removed from it in the sense that i can kind of say what i want as long as i don't libel anybody and i don't have to front it and i have to kind of put a filter on sometimes I think well i might not have to filter i might not have to front it he's got to go there <laughs> you know he's got to face the manager i've slagged off it, it has changed massively but i like the fact that we can just communicate directly directly to you 20 30 years ago after a match we get the argus on the shelves at, at six o'clock quarter past six and you'd get <laughs> you'd probably get 300 words of the first 60 minutes when nothing happened and then you'd get the six goals that went in the last 10 minutes all put in the, the last paragraph now we can come i don't know whether you appreciate this or whether you resent it but we can come straight into your living rooms or straight <laughs> into your into your phones or, or whatever immediately after the match and just i don't know I, I i'm really without laying it on too thick i'm really grateful that you guys have come along and supported us because if you want tactical insight, yes, John and Pat will give it you, and, and Ash will give it you. Me and Dan, who tend to mop up a lot of the kind of post-match stuff, we want to replicate the nonsense that you have with your mates in the pub and stuff like that, the stupid things that we see. So I feel really, really lucky that I can almost keep winging this without bringing you any insight, just bringing you crap dad jokes and, 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 and bits of fun. But it's it's a different beast now i don't know whether that answers your question but it, it's it's so far removed from from what it once was i like it good answer thank you any other hands go on next to him lovely stuff go on go for it oh oh the gerard comment cameron archer's family yeah that felt like a real breakdown in the relationship between the two of you did you feel that building before that or was that kind of seen to you that you went oh this is no okay. it actually brought us closer together would you believe yeah. the week after i think he would if i'd seen him outside of that, of that night i think he would have laid it on thick to me but the week after he said camera he had a little joke in me cameron's all right now ash you know so he was quite funny in that sense i think he brought it closer together i had a good relationship with stephen but that night, yeah, I think he just lost it. He said, um, you've asked me 25 questions, 19 have been about camera. And I was like, I haven't, have I? <laughs> so he just lost his head that night. But he, yeah, he had a joke with me the week after. So he let it settle. But um, yeah, he, he just managed a frustration and he just lost it at me. And I had a laugh, we laughed it off in the end. Yeah. Just as a follow up to that, in the when Joe was sacked, I think you did a tweet saying I kind of felt sorry for yeah, him. Yeah, and yeah. fans parting going out. Yeah, what, what are you talking about? I know, I know. Um, and you've said in the first half of the podcast about kind of a, a reporter sat in a fan hat. How do you kind of assess the reaction to his sacking? You know, would you have done anything different, or do you stand by that you had this kind of working relationship to an extent, and you kind of have to respect that? I knew the man, didn't I really? I've seen him every week, I've seen him more times than my missus and kind of thing, really. Um, I did. I spoke, I spoke to him more than the missus, but um, I had a relationship with him on a, on a level and he was good to me, to be honest. Whereas the times the relationship with the club wasn't like, like Matt said, you, you go into press conferences because you're the Birmingham male, you tread on eggshells almost because we do things a little bit differently, we ask the fan questions. But Stephen gave, gave me um, really good answers, spoke to me really well, and I respected that. A question here was from the, the guy in the black shirt and he laughed and said, yeah, the guy in the black shirt. Uh, he knew Ash from primary school, this guy, and said, having known you for a long time, knowing that you're Villa through and through and, and things like that, how do you feel now working in the position that you do and being so close to the club and being able to report on the club for a living? And also as, as a follow-up question, he wanted to know about how the whole Jack Grealish leaving saga affected Ash and the story that Ash did in the aftermath of, of Jack leaving for Man City last year. 
and yeah, how much that affected Ash on, on a personal level. Yeah, this is all Matt's fault. Is it? It's all your fault. <laughs> yeah, Matt gave me the job, and I was yeah, dream job. Um, yeah, it's it's hard at times. I'm a Villa fan as well. Um, a lot of pressure. You're the, you're, the, you're the Villa writer for the Birmingham Mail. It gets to you. It really does. I, only, I prefer to be sitting with you, you now, and having a beer. To be fair, so it does get to you. Um, very emotional in that sense. I'm a, I'm a Villa fan. Very proud to be be, be, be in this job. Um, so yeah, it does affect you a lot. It's, it's your life. It takes over your life. Uh, so yeah, a lot of pressure to do with. Like I say, the social media side of things as well. I'll come off social media tomorrow, but I'm there for you and. Like you say, we asked the questions for you as well, but um, the greedy stuff affected me quite badly as well. I was too, when it went in too footy too strongly, I, the, fa the fan of me coming out, I was hurt as well at the time. And um, that affected me mentally as well. I didn't need to do that. You, you live and learn. I'm, I've only been in the job now, my fourth season, so fairly new to it. Um, but yeah, um, the greedy stuff did, did affect me. I was probably too strong, I don't know. But you learn by your mistakes, don't you? And that, that's where I am, so. But yeah, very emotional being the Villa reporter, being a big Villa fan. I used, used to be in the other room, my dad. He saw I, yeah, remember, remember it like yesterday. So, and to be here now, very emotional, yeah. you get me going in a minute. <laughs> Pull yourself together, sorry. <laughs> How does it feel to yourself to help to have brought what you learned maybe with the podcast and talking to other people and bring it to the Birmingham Mail now? Um, is that something that you're, you're proud of or do you want to go further with that? When I was doing some freelance things at the time for, for various different outlets and, and stuff and some for Villa as well and it all kind of petered off a little bit and tailed away and I was kind of in a place where I thought oh, I might just have to kind of abandon all this and go and get another job in a different industry or whatever. And then this role came available and we said, oh, we want to launch a podcast and kind of improve our social media kind of uh, page and stuff like that. So to bring kind of previous experience of kind of training on the job and doing it in my own time and then being paid to do it. You know, like you said earlier, Matt, if you're not going to play for Villa, to be able to talk about them and some of the stuff we talk about on this podcast, it's, it's a bit of a joke. This is our job at, at times, but... Uh, yeah, privileged. <laughs> yeah, where does that come from? Privileged to do, and um, the fact that we can do something like this and people actually turn up and spend their Friday nights listening to what we have to say is pretty, pretty mad. Really, I think. I don't know whether that answers the question. Anyone else? I have a question. Club or country? Club. <laughs> 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 I'm not even bothered about the World Cup. Yeah, I'm still up for the World Cup though. But Villa is. I feel like everyone nowadays is club over country. To be honest, yeah. whether you're Villa or not. Can I? Can I give you an analogy? Yeah. I'm surprised it's taken this long to think of an analogy. You know, do you ever see that? Um, do you ever see on the back? <laughs> what the fuck am I doing with it? <laughs> <laughs> do you ever see on the back of an ice cream van there's a really badly drawn Mickey Mouse or Disney character? Mm -hmm. I find England like that compared to Villa. <laughs> do you know what I mean? You get, you get excited by the fact that it's coming along yeah. and there might be some kind of joy in it. But it's not the real thing, is it? Do you know what I mean? It looks like Mickey Mouse being smashed for the baseball bat or something like that. That's what it's like for me. It's kind of, it's something to keep you occupied, but it's not, it's not the real deal, really. So, and I was chatting to, sorry, I didn't get yeah, your name. Yeah, Stuart. Start chatting to Stuart at the bar, and a little tip: that bar around the back is a lot quieter. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Chatting to chatting to Stuart at the bar, and I think you said you got a friend who's a, a Man United fan, and, and oh, is it, is it your man here? So oh, we've outed him. Boo, boo. Well, 
We'll see you in the third round. Um, <laughs> it's been so long. I, I would genuinely, not this season, obviously, but I would genuinely take a League Cup over England win the World Cup. And I don't know whether that makes me unpatriotic. Probably even these these three guys' generation that. I just, despite appearances, just missed out. I was four when, when Villa won the European Cup, so I didn't get to see the early 80s success. I did get to see the mid-90s League Cup success, and I thought that Villa won trophies every couple of years. I thought, oh, this is standard, this is standard. So it's been so long, and I know it's a cliche, and I know that we're all kind of got delusions of grandeur because we're living on black and white photographs um, for many years, but it's. I think it's a scandal that... You know, the best thing he's seen is us beating Derby County at Wembley, and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that game every bit as much as he did. But surely, surely we we need more than that. And I take take Villa take Villa over England every single day. The next question was about Emmy Buendia, obviously a club record signing, somebody that we spent a lot of money on, and particularly under Steven Gerrard didn't get much game time. Uh, the question was asking whether we saw a future for Emi Buendia under Unai Emery. I think he will be. I think he'll be a key man under Emery. I think especially in the formation that he's playing. I think last season he had the third most through balls in the Premier League, sixth most in Europe's top five leagues. He loves to play that little slider or ball. If you can get him in that position, as you know, that little hole behind those two strikers, he's got options, he's got players running beyond him. And under Gerrard, I don't think he really, every week he'd say, oh, I love him. He's, uh, what, what did he call him? He's like, he's a warrior. A little warrior yeah um but we never kind of he was on the bench obviously and he didn't quite get his his, his fair chance in my opinion and probably everyone else in this room probably thought he has to play more and start more but under Emery I think we'll see that because especially in this formation that we're playing there's going to be runners beyond him he's going to have chances to create I think this morning there was a player for the um out of the MLS that got called up to the Argentina team that plays in his position and that's a crime how Emmy Buendia cost 34 million pounds we know what level he can play at and he's not getting the Argentina team because it's not just Steven Gerrard's fault but if he had those opportunities <laughs> if he had those opportunities he'd be probably be in the World Cup squad now and he's probably you know what must he be thinking as an Argentinian as well it means so much to them um, so no under Emery especially I think he'll be a really important player because we know what quality he has so what do you think Ash? Needs more goals and more. He does, yeah. yeah. Need more, needs numbers, assists, and stuff. We have, we have that chat quite quite frequently in the, in, in the car on the, on the journey to games with the yeah. reporters and stuff. And he needs to start doing it now. I think I think now's the time to judge him from now until the end of the season. Yeah. He's been there a long, you know, a couple of years now as well. So he needs to start seeing it now. And mm. the Coutinho signing didn't help him, did it? No, he was, he was he was knocked down a peg there. So I think we need to start seeing it now because yeah. fans love him, don't they? And, well, when he's on song, he, he's one of the better players. I feel like it gives you something that going the other way as well. He's, he's quite, he's bitty. When he comes off the bench, he's running around everywhere like against Everton. He changed the game and obviously you want him doing that from the start when he's you know starting. But I think for Emery as well, he, he likes to have that creative player that can also go the other way too. And when you're playing with two holding midfielders, those extra two in front of them can go. But then they also need to, you know, once we don't have the ball, they need to tuck in. And I think Wendy can do that. So I think he's got a really bright future under Emery. So... Yeah, hopefully, in the next couple of years, we'll really start to see what is you know made of and why we spent what was it thirty four million? Yeah, there's a lot of money to spend on a player, um, you know, club record transfer as well. So yeah, I'm one, excited for it. Once we ask the manager as well, I think on, on him specifically. For sure, the next yeah. One. Yeah. yeah. Something a little bit more lighthearted. Your first shirt and your favourite shirt. These two that we've got up here will probably be not far off. To be honest, I love this Luke Roper away oh, shirt. Yeah. I love an away shirt. Don't have that. I wish it was mine. And this Acorns one as well, I like the first year that had Acorns. It wouldn't have been my first kit, 
I did start going to Wayne 2004, six, seven, something like that. So actually, not far off to be fair. Uh, it was my first first kit as going as a fan. Did we did we have a like Lecoq Sportif shirt in the early eighties? I'm sure I'm sure there's a picture of me like wearing a knockoff version of it from Blackheath Market, <laughs> like in, in Grange Park in Dudley, you know, hone, honing the sweet left foot that I've got. And I got the worst kind of bowl cut. I didn't expect Blackheath Market to come in this. Like, well we need a sponsor, don't we? So I thought I'd uh, I thought I'd shout them out. So I think I think it was that. Uh the best shirt it's weird because I think this feeds into the debate about the badge yes. they could they could stick a paralytic lion upside down juggling <laughs> juggling black puddings and if we win a trophy in it that would automatically yeah. become the best design the most beautiful piece of, of, of art ever and I think you know I, I'm you hate the you hate the muller don't you the the, the the green and black the green and black one and I oh, kind of it's horrible <laughs> And I love it because it reminds me of Dino and Dahlia, and it, you know, do you know what I mean? So it's, it's more, it's more what what, staying the obvious, more what players do in that shirt, isn't it, than how it looks. So, yeah, I think it's it's the ones, it's the AST one we won the, won the cup in in '96. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the uh, the little drawstring. Um, Umbra. Yeah, I managed to. I managed. I was. Winning at Slimming World back then, I managed to wear that for the uh, for the playoff final. But I, I, I wasn't going to try. I wasn't going to try it. I wasn't going to try it tonight, to be honest. But yeah, I'm more about I'm more about what we did in it than than the design, to be honest. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, same for me. My, my era was John Gregory, so the Reebok, LDV, Vans kind of stuff. Mm. The 2000 final kit, the red, blue, striped, striped yeah, one. Yeah. That, that was the year. I had all, that, that, had all the tracksuit, the Reebok tracksuits running around here when I was little, so... Yeah, the Reebok era was mine with the cup final, and I had the Davy James one. I don't know if you remember it, the sky blue one. I never have goalkeeper kits, but I had that one for some reason. I liked it, and yeah, so the, the Reebok era, John Gregory, LDV Vans kind of stuff. But. Mm. John, you like the younger than some of us, so it's yours like yeah. last season's. My, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my first was uh, I think it was 0506, the um. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the the Hummel with the little yellow trim. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I think yeah, it was the Angel era as well. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yellow and blue away shirt, which I quite liked so back in there. Uh, yeah, that was my first, and then it's boring, but eighty two away kit. It's my yeah, favourite. Apologies, but that it's that's the club, you know. That, it's iconic. So yeah, that's my favourite. Uh, if you could go for a point with any player, past or present, who you? Are you for a beer? I've been chatting to um, to McDowell and, um, and and Hannah from the from the club earlier. Um, David Platt is the one for me. I want to try and I want to really get him on our podcast, but I've not been brave enough. I've got a number for him. I've not been brave enough to do it because back back in the day, what, what, yeah, should we phone him now? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Imagine one of the um, when I first started coming to Villa. I don't know, probably 2007, 2006-7, something like that. I got a number for Platt, and I, I think I think I spoke to him, speaking to him about, oh, I can't remember what player it was. There was I, got, I interviewed him talking about another player, and I, when I picked up the phone to him, I thought, 
don't be an arsehole. Not me. I'm, I'm, I was always going to be an arsehole. Don't, don't be a Don't be a Don't be a And he picked up the phone. Great. Gave me what I needed. Let me have a little bit of fanboy chat with him at the end. And I thought, job done. So I'm, I'm really, really reluctant to ruin that now because he was my hero as a kid. But I think, a bit like we did with O'Neill last week, and I think we did a little bit with Gareth Barry, I kind of want to give him the chance to say, actually, I haven't forgotten about Aston Villa. You know, you might think that I've airbrushed Aston Villa and, you know, the club that put me on the map are dead to me. I don't think that will be the case. I want to, I want to speak to him and just spend an hour in his company talking about Aston Villa and thinking, you know, seeing seeing what it really meant to him. But I just need to pluck, I need, to, I need to pluck up the courage to do it. I'm not doing it now. What, start WhatsApp group and put Platt, me and all of you like in it. And we just do it like, come on, David, come on, you're amongst friends. So yeah, David Platt. Uh, nice out with Jack, that'd be pretty, pretty, um, pretty lively, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. I don't think I'd get home. Get home. Other than that, I'd like to have a pop with Dean, Dean Smith. Oh, I was going to say Stout as well. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you think of him as being a little bit reserved, and then you see him on the balcony at, uh, at Wembley giving it big, and you think, oh, he'd be all right, I reckon. Yeah. 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 But, um, yeah, no, well, yeah. A couple, couple of guineas with, with Dean would be good. No, just quickly on Dean as well, he probably doesn't get enough flight. Yeah, every time there's interviews and stuff, he never sort of like expands on everything that you want him to talk about sometimes, yeah. Dean. He's probably got so much to say and so many stories. It's probably something for after when he's retired, maybe from management, but I don't see that would be any time soon because he seems to, oh, yeah. seems to live and breathe it. But yeah, I'd love to, yeah, an interview with Smith or whatever, you know, a beer, whatever it may be. But there must be so many stories. That's a boy at Villa fan, coaching Villa. He used to cycle past Villa Park as a kid, go into his paint factory or whatever. Like it's it's like the best story there is and obviously when we had Jack as captain as well it was a great era but um, yeah I got a Nick Ashley's answer unfortunately yeah. Dean's Nick interview oh. I've said it loads of times he's like, oh, like Moneo was always one that I always wanted and thought we'd never get and I've said to you loads of times I want Smith not next but I want that to happen but whether it happens while he's still in work I'm, I'm not sure so if he gets the boot from Norwich <laughs> get, get the phone up <laughs> I hate it. Uh, next question. Yeah, On the flip side of that, who would you least like to go through? <laughs> <laughs> Me and Paul Lambert had a very love-hate relationship and that we love to hate each other. And um, he waited. I think, I don't know whether Martin O'Neill put the poison down for me or whether Lambert learned to hate me in his own right. I think, I did, am I right in saying that Wigan won the FA Cup on the Saturday and then we got relegated, beat Man City in the FA Cup on the Saturday and then got relegated by losing to Arsenal mm. on the Tuesday or something. By virtue of that, we stayed up, just about kept our heads above water. And I'd not been in his office all season at Bodymore. I'd been in the manager's office previously and he invited me in and uh, the next day, you must come into the office. Like, nah, mate, I've got, you know, I've got childcare commitments, so I'll, I'll, I'll put it back for another day. And I went in and... He's, I don't know whether you've, you've been to Bod I've not been to Bodymore for five or six years it's probably changed now his desk he was on a, on a raised platform like the head teacher and anybody who was seeing him was like the kind of little kind of lowest of the low and um, there was a press officer at the time called Brian Dugan and I didn't particularly get on well with him either and um, Lambert had got a pile, an A4 pile of tweets and stories that I'd written that had annoyed him and it was fairly thick <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he starts, he starts ranting properly, properly kind of hairdryer treatment, properly angry 
and he starts screwing up these pieces of paper and saying, if only you knew this, throwing a piece of paper. <laughs> and halfway through, this, this lasted for about 20 minutes, but halfway through, he went out to get a glass of water because he, he was like choking himself because he was so... <laughs> and I looked at Brian Dugan, the press officer, and he looked at me and I was like, <laughs> and Brian was like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. And eventually he's throwing this piece of paper around and he's trying to return to a point that he's made. So one, I must have said something nice about Darren Bent or something and he hated Darren Bent. So he's trying to, he's trying to remember what he'd said and he's scrabbling around on his hands and knees trying to find this piece of paper. <laughs> and, I, and I'm thinking, and I said to my, and I knew I was going to get the battering from him. So I, I said to myself before I went in, don't laugh and don't cry. And honestly, I didn't know what to do by the time I come out of there. And we had 20 minutes of him just absolutely right. If only you knew this, Matt. If it, and I said, Paul, I'm the local reporter. Why don't you tell me? I'm not asking for your pin number. I'm asking for what's, I don't know, Alan Hutton done with his hamstring or whatever, whatever it was. And we actually, sorry, this story, I won't go on to too much, but we actually, 20 minutes of him blasting me, giving the hair dry treatment. Then we shook hands and said, listen, I don't, I don't need much, just give me little bits and pieces. We shook hands, great. The next match, I think we went, we were away at, um, we were away at Wigan. Was it the last game of the season? We were away at Wigan or something, and he was really civil to me in the press conference and answered my questions, really nice. And then that summer, Villa played a pre-season tournament in, um, in Germany, and it was like really kind of basic kind of third or fourth tier clubs in the middle of nowhere, fields in the middle of nowhere. And I didn't know, they wouldn't tell me where they were staying, so I was staying like I don't know 60 miles away or whatever I turned off after the first match and Jack Jack Woodward did his first his little bit you know how did the game go and I went to ask a question and, it, and, and Lambert was like I'm not doing anything with you I'm not speaking to you and I was like I thought we'd thought we'd clear, no I'm not doing anything with you and this is probably this is probably where some of my professionalism slips I thought f*** you I'm going to have you <laughs> <laughs> just censor this bit. When the, when the time comes, when the time comes, I'm going to boot you out this door so hard that, you know, and the worst thing about that was I'd got, I knew that, that the villa could be funny with that access. I got a double pay spread in the following day's mail and it spoke to somebody who'd done a coaching badge with him in, in Germany. I think it was the course leader. He was one of his colleagues who'd been on this course, saying what a brilliant manager he was. He was the best thing since sliced bread and how he was going to revolutionise Villa. And he's absolutely just kind of hung me out to dry. And the next thing is this almost kind of glorified reference for him. I thought, oh, God, it made me feel, uh, made me feel horrible. So eventually even despite my petty little gripes and my my kind of personal relationship we ha I had to wait until it became clear that he wasn't the man to manage Aston Villa and then good riddance so front, front page really so yeah so we, he's on next week's podcast <laughs> <laughs> the next question asked about the youth academy and the next prospect coming through into the first team and whether Unai Emery had previously blooded youth at clubs he'd been at before Aston Villa at Villarreal, he's certainly brought through youth players. Um, Nicholas Jackson, the striker, we've been linked with him. Uh, Alex Bueno, midfielder, and there was another chap. Well, Samu. <laughs> Chukweze. Oh, Jeremy Pino. Yeah, 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 that's the other one, yeah. Yeah, so he's brought, uh, brought through youth. <laughs> <laughs> brought through youth at Villarreal. Uh, don't know what the guys will say. I think Tim Irubinum's probably yeah. ahead of most. Playing really well for QPR, as we all know. Seems to be the right 
profile as well for a Premier League midfielder. Something that would work well in that double pivot that Emery plays. Yeah. You've obviously got names as well that we've heard of in terms of your Barrys, Kessler Haydens, uh, Aaron Ramsey well doing, doing well at Norwich too. I think a couple of them are struggling. I say struggling. The youth players playing in men's football, it's not struggling is too harsh of a word. Kessler Haydens not played too many minutes at Huddersfield. Barrys scored one goal for MK Dons. But it's all, it's all a learning uh, process, isn't it? Players develop at different ages. Cameron Archer was barely scoring for Salua Moores in the National League. And now we're saying he should be playing in the Premier League. So players develop at different times. So we have to be careful of that. But to answer the question, Tim Arubinum, for, for me, is uh, certainly one to you know, be knocking on the door next, next year. Because would he go out on loan again to a top championship team? He's already had that for a year, maybe. But I think Emery might want to fit him in the first team at some point. I agree. Yeah, currently uh, Tommy O'Reilly's one to keep an eye on. Tommy O'Reilly, he's for the he's the star player for the 21s at the moment. You know, he's got five in five. I know it's 21s football, but he's very much Barry Bannon about him. Left footed, number 10. A lot of excitement about him. He's from Tamworth, big Villa fan as well, Tommy. So um, I'll give him a shout out. Yeah, good player. This next question asked about Frederick Gilbert, Marvis Nakamba and Morgan Sanson, three players that we've talked about a lot on the podcast and whether their futures will be at Villa Park in the long term. Yeah, I suppose Sanson didn't get on in the cup at Old Trafford. Yeah, yeah I was just going to ask about that. Was there anything said about why he didn't get a look in? Or? Christian Perth, I spoke to a few of the reporters at the unveiling and he said Emery's big on Sanson. He likes him from previously, so we took that OK. I think John Percy ran it as well. New, 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 new chance for Sanson here. But we haven't seen him, have we, really? He come, on, come off against Man U. Um, so, yeah, funny one, Sanson. Like, like Dan said, we, how many times we've spoken about that? Is he going to finally kick, kick on? Don't know. Gilbert, I think he'll be sold. I think he, he'll move on now. Um, yeah, some summit's happened there with, with Freddie, but he'll 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 leave in January. Uh, I've been told that as well. So, yeah, Sanson don't get Nakamba. Yeah, this time last year, Player of the Month, yeah. flying, wasn't it, John? Yeah, that, strange one. That one's really. That I thought it was really strange, especially for Gerard to have a player that's clearly fit him so well. <laughs> Surely you would use him, but obviously it didn't happen. Uh, his contract runs out next summer, the one after the one twenty four, so a year and a half remaining on his contract. So, you would have thought Villa would cash in if not January in the summer. So yeah. I, I think all three of them. I don't. I can't see a future for any of them, and it's sad for Samsung because he's clearly a good player. But although it's like, oh, Gerard didn't give him a chance. But if he was a good player and he was playing well and he was available every time, would he not be playing? I think he would. Yeah. And he hasn't been. So, yeah, pushing the pudding for me. Yep. Do, do you think uh, Emir chooses captain? Oh, good question. Again, we talked in the first part, didn't we, about Gerard changing it for change sake almost, and whether that was you know worth doing. Hmm. McGee being captain is something, we, again, we've talked about a, a lot before, and whether that was the right choice. I think Emery will probably change it in the summer, maybe, or I don't think he'll change it any, any soon. That's not really much point. I think we spoke about it, saying that you know, if McGinn's not in his starting lineup anyway, it's not a, a debate to have, is it? Yeah. He won't be captain anyway. Martinez is probably the obvious, He's my obvious choice. It's our shout. It's the shout we gave in the other room at the start of the season. If, if he is going to change it, Martinez is, is the perfect fit. So I'd imagine it would be him, depending on what their relationship is like, could be my answer. Saves himself a potential issue, doesn't he, as well? Martinez is going to play every game. Yeah. We know he's a leader. There's leaders on the pitch everywhere, but with Martinez, it's uh, you must putting the armband to a side and saying, all right, it's him, everyone get on with it sort of thing. Mm. You know, if, if it's McGinn or Mings, you're taking it off the other and giving it to him. There's a reason. If you're giving it to Martinez, he's playing every game. Um, so I think that's what Gerard should have done if he was going to change Mings, which he didn't have to. I don't think Emery would bring in a new player to make a make captain. I don't know if, I'm not sure that would happen. It's almost like being a bit too power hungry if you're going to be doing that. It almost sets a signal of like, I don't think any of you are capable of leading the team, so I'm going to bring my own guy. 
if that's the right decision then if it is I don't think he will uh, for me I think Martinez will be captain f- from next season onwards I don't think he'll change it I think so. if you're talking about longevity as well have McGinn and Mings will they be the players in the side if we do get into Europe possibly not Martinez should be playing every week for a top six side so if we do take the next step up into Europe whenever that is Martinez can kind of be captain for four or five seasons yeah absolutely love it as well I spoke to him at Brighton last week and I love this club man he's really like really like okay I think Neil Cutler said on a re- recent podcast he's he's really like Proper like, loves it, and like, he's great for the chance Villa gave him when when we signed him. <coughs> bit bit out, bit out of the blue, wasn't it? That twenty million pound yeah. signing. Thinking we had Tommy. We were almost talking. Do we even need a goalkeeper? Yeah, but he's, he's really great. Really. Yeah, he absolutely loves it. He's my shout as well, John. Emil Martinez, love him. And great in interviews, well, such a good talker. Mm. Really passionate. Um, what a signing he's been. Yeah, unreal. Um, I was just wondering what your aspirations for the podcast is. Where you want to take it? How big you want to make it? Obviously, the bigger you guys grow, the bigger Villa is. So, you know, everyone in here is behind you already, so where do you want to take it? Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, obviously, we get a lot of comments, we were talking about this earlier, like, people kind of say things like, oh, well done for doing this at like 10 o'clock at night after a game, and I always kind of think, well, this is our job, so I kind of have to do it, it's not really <laughs> our, like, We could have just said, oh, let's, we'll work between 9 and 5, but we like doing it, so we'll do it. We want to be the best Villa podcast, I suppose, the biggest, the most viewed. You know, we're not, not kind of driven by numbers, so to speak, but you don't want to post a podcast and no one watches it because that kind of defeats the purpose. So, yeah, I don't think we ever talk about kind of aspirations of where you want to go, but if we're, as long as we're still enjoying it and people are watching, that's kind of good enough. I like it when people, I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, people don't realise we're associated with Birmingham Live <laughs> and they think we're a fan podcast. <laughs> I think sometimes that plays into our, into our hands. I'd like us to, I think, I say we, this is me, got a little bit lazy with some of the guests. I think we've done some good things with some of the former players. And I like trying to tell the stories of late 90s to now, I think, with respect to the, the 82 guys that we, we went to went to Cornwall to see when we could have actually seen them in Litchfield. Those stories have been told a lot. I think there's a lot of stories between the late 90s, the noughties, in the last 10 years that I'd like to tell those stories a little bit more. And... I don't know, I just, I, I think Dan's, uh, don't want to embarrass him because I don't like saying nice things about him because he <laughs> comes and asks for a pay rise, but I think Dan is, Dan's given an extra level of polish to, to what we do and I'd like us to do little mini documentaries. We did a little Grealish background piece, didn't we? two or three years ago and we've not really we wanted we were planning to do a Stephen Gerrard kind of background <laughs> piece and never got round to it but I think there's lots of stories I'd love us to tell the story not without not wishing to kind of cramp Max Stokes' style because he does a really good job on Villa on tour but I'd love to do the story of, of an Aston Villa away day and, and all these kind of things so yeah just just to just to do things that you guys find remotely interesting really and that you you can get engaged with and it is. It, it's a joy for me. My job's changed in recent years, and I've reinvented myself as a kind of know, middle manager who does spreadsheets and rotors and sends Ash, you know, costs up if Ash is going to Australia and he's having the whale of a time, <laughs> and I'm filling in a spreadsheet. Can we afford to feed him on the morning and all this kind of thing? Um, you love that, though. So oh, I don't mind it, but I like having this as a kind of a little bit of an outlet, so I can. I don't know, pretend I'm still relevant, I suppose. Football's supposed to be fun, isn't it? And, you know, if we're just restricted to what we see on the pitch twice a week and we're going through a blip like we have been doing on and off for the last 10 or 12 years or whatever it is, 
it's mind-numbing, you know. So if we can just introduce a little bit of silliness along the way and you can indulge us with it as well, then, I don't know, just try and inject a bit of fun, I think. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, it's taken 34 minutes before we got our first question about the January transfer window. This one was about assessing the squad we've got so far and what additions we might need in the next few weeks. For me, I think the double, p- the double pivot that we've got now is, is really good. I don't think we need to do any additions there. Up front, there's always an argument about Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings hasn't quite hit it yet, even though we bought him for 30 million. But obviously, in the first, sorry, the last game, there's positive signs. Behind that, you Leon Bailey's, Buendiers, they haven't quite shown enough. I don't think we could be clouded by the last two games. You know, Bailey has taken a long time to adapt, and so is Buendier. So, potentially a player in that forward role that Emery probably trusts and knows. And But to me, that, that comes with recruitment. Emery isn't just going to pick out a player because that's the recruitment team. That's their job. He'll come to the you know recruitment team and say, "I want this player that does this and this and this." And his and they'll give him a list of five players or whatever. So far, I don't think we've done that very well, especially after Grealish. So that needs to change. But to, an- to answer the question, I would be looking. <sighs> I like Matty Cash, but I think at right back, I think can we have a player that's more productive? It's not slight my cash. I think he's a very good player, but I think more competition there would be a positive. Uh, I think there's a lot of situations where there's a final balls lacking. I think the, in the Brighton one, when he's gone past the play, which is great, and he's lifted it up to Buendia for a header, just play across the floor, and it's a goal. And obviously, we score from it straight after, so it's not so bad. But just those key moments, you might only get one of those in a game, and if that's the difference, in, you know, in those positions, you need to make the most of it. So potentially, can we look at a right back if the right fit is there? And a forward player, whether it's a striker or a player that can link play, wherever it may be, I'm sure that's the sort of area that we'll be looking in as well because the midfield's fine. Diego Carlos is coming back. Potentially a centre-back will be looking in the summer. And we have a left-back in Luca Dean and a goalkeeper in Martinez. So I don't think it's major surgery. If he can drop a player in here and there that he knows is going to work for him, I'm sure the club will back him to do that. Thank you for indulging me with all my questions. I can go all night. Um, but just to give you your flowers, as it were, thank you, gents. We really enjoyed the podcast. Hence why we're all here. And a bit of a round of applause. Okay. <laughs> 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 I felt bad for skipping over you on the left Carlos, does he come in for Conza? What happens there? Or does he, what, where does he sit in the team now? I like Kanza, I really like Kanza. Um, interesting how he reacts to that Achilles injury. Yeah. I'm really, really intrigued by it. Will he lose a yard of pace? Interesting, Emery picked out Diego Carlos, said really, really good recruitment that was. and. He, that was unprompted from him, so Emery knows he's a really good player. I think he comes straight into the team. Yeah, interesting. Speaking about Tyrone Mings' contract, wasn't we? Yeah. 18 months left to run near enough. Yeah, so there's a decision there. It's kind of creeped up on us a little bit, Danny yeah. Ings as well, but come the summer, he's going to have 12 months left. A decision needs to be made. He's going to be 30 by the time, you know, and I want Tyrone Mings to stay at the club, but his club's a business. His value's going to decrease from now on. Sure, there'll be interest if there was an availability of the new setup coming in, but I want Mings to stay the team in, in the team. 
for Mings, is he going to be assured those peak years of his career? Is he going to be playing every game? Don't know if he's going to get that promise. It depends what he wants as well. Is he settled here? Probably. But a decision will be made on that for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I think Conte has played, he's played better in recent weeks as he well. Has, yeah. yeah. And they've kind of formed that bond that they had in the 2021 20, season. But competition for places is never a bad thing, is it? So I expect Carlos to come back in at some point. Depends how quickly he gets up to speed because Achilles, snapping your Achilles is quite something. But to be fair, how quickly he's recovered from it is probably a positive sign. It's not as if yeah. he's been out for six or seven months. He's been out for, what, four or five? Yeah. So, yeah, that's a positive in itself. It's changing up the guard now as well. You look at McGinn's out the team now. You've yeah. First name on the team ship previously. Tyrone as well. But he's been played well this season. I'll give him a new deal myself. Like Dendonk has played really well whenever he's played, but Douglas Louise and Kamara, you kind of think, well, can they be dropped? Probably not. So, competition for places. Exactly that, yeah. Something we've not had for a long time. If you're going to be in Europe, you need a bench that you look at and think, oh, he's unlucky. He's unlucky not to play. There we go. Yeah, exactly. European tour. Come on. The next question asked Matt for his best dad joke, and Matt, in his typical fashion, got derailed and didn't actually answer the question. So, this is the random tangent that he went down. We were at Old Trafford last week, and like I said, I took, took my son, um, and we, we went to the game and um, bumped into a couple of people, not, not, not giving it the big one, but a couple of people came over and said, oh, Matt, thanks, thanks for what you do. We enjoy the podcast and stuff. You just see my son rolling his eyes, and he's thinking, really? Really? All you do is you just spout nonsense. You just tell these really bad puns, these really bad analogies, and really bad jokes. And I was feeling good about myself because I got I got a bit of a bit of acclaim from from fellow Villa fans. We nailed the O'Neill thing. It was really good. And he's like, "Dad, there's Max Stokes. Do you know him? Can I have my photo taken with him?" And I'm like, "Whoa, come on! I'm the Max Stokes for 45 year old men. You know, give me some love." Um, so I can't think of one, but I'll I'll, I'll work on one and I'll get one for you for the next podcast for the end of this show oh, I don't know can I ask you guys a question who who, be realistic who would you like us to see get on get on the podcast in terms of perhaps former players former managers that kind of thing I think we want to we want to do this is why I hired this guy to be honest because I went to um, the big Ron's Barnt Green bloody estate three years ago filmed or, or recorded a really dodgy interview on, on an iPhone and he some good stuff but it just doesn't that was that that was when our podcast was called the brilliant title Alive Notza which is Aston Villa backwards which I thought was a, a brilliant title um, but Big Ron I think I think I'd like to go and see Big Ron he's got so many brilliant stories to tell I think it'd be it'd be a great one the next question was the most memorable match you've ever been to and I threw my head back in despair there because the Guinness had just started to seep into my bloodstream and my mind was completely blank at this point. I'll go with this because my wife's a long-suffering football widow who my son's obsessed now, my daughter, all of, my, my daughter's just turned 12 and she, she, I think my wife thought that my daughter had never shown interest in football before so she'd be able to kind of, it sounds a bit sexist, but go out, go shopping and do, do, do girly things with, with my daughter and now she, she's obsessed with playing football now, Villa ladies coming to the Villa men's games occasionally. My wife has only ever been to two Aston Villa matches, um, this was a long time ago when we were courting, do you say that word anymore or is that something, <laughs> when we, a, a long time ago anyway and she came to the Tranmere game when we beat, we beat Tranmere on penalties to get to the uh, get to the 1994 FA Cup, FA Cup, League Cup final and she came to the Inter Milan game when we beat, beat Inter Milan on penalties, so why she's never been back again? 
you know, um, so it'd be, it'd be those games. And I don't know whether you can still have retrospective banning orders and stuff, but I was on the pitch. I was on the pitch both of those, um, both of those games as well. And it was, I don't know, it's just that, it's a cliche, isn't it? But especially the, the Inter Milan game, you know, Villa, European nights, under floodlights, you know. That, that's one of my biggest regrets from being a Villa reporter, that I, I got, as the ma number one Villa reporter, I only got two European trips, you know, uh, two, two European away trips, and they were Rapid Vienna in the Premier League round of the Europa League in 2008, nine, and then, lo and behold, who did we draw the next round? Rapid yeah, Vienna. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lovely city, you know, anything you need to know about the architecture or the tourist trail around there is great, but... You know, I think, I don't know whether my wife would agree with this, but if we can get back into Europe, as John has predicted tonight, um, you know, either I'm going to have to look at those spreadsheets and try and blag myself along <laughs> as part of the Client Blue podcast, or I'm going to uh, gonna take my boy to experience some of it as well, I think. Um, so, yeah, be, be those two games. The only one a bit more my missus was the 5-1 Birmingham City, so she hasn't been down since. We need to bring him. Oh, no. <laughs> Send him instead of us. Yeah, that was the one. A funny one sticks out for me all the time, I don't know why. 6-1 Sunderland at home, Monday night, I don't yeah. know why. Ron Vlaar scoring yeah. from but distance. Yeah, yeah nice. really good down there. Um, Matt Loughton as well, Stoke away. I remember the coach broke down and it was one of them away days. and. But seeing Loughton's goal live was pretty good as well. So they, 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 them two stick out for me. First vivid memory of Villa would have been... Uh... Brighton away, I'm telling you. The uh, Blackburn game. With the flags. Yeah, yeah, all the yeah, flags. That's, that's, that's the first vivid memory. Um, but in recent times, the 4-2 over Blues at home, I thought was really good. Mm. Alan Hutton's goal was mm. crazy. Oh, yeah. like, the atmosphere with the Blues games was always good. Um... I wasn't there, but the Grealish 1-0 away, I don't see how anything could top that. Mm. Like, you never thought that. No. He's been assaulted on the pitch and then scored the winner. Like, he's a Villa fan and he's a captain and we beat Blues 1-0. It doesn't get any better. So, just on, on that. not be assaulted though. But that made it the day yeah. better. It would, to me, that was a story of kind of good conquering it evil, was, to be exactly honest. It was like a Hollywood, Hollywood exactly thing. That. And um, I was in the, in the press box that day at St Andrews and God I had to go through sheep dip on the way in and on the way out um, but not, not wishing to name drop massively because massively, Ash has done his best to ruin my relationship with Jack Grealish's dad um, but Kevin Grealish phoned me after that game and he was going on a mad run. I'm going on WM I'm going to I'm going to go and dig him out I'm going to say this is it I was like Kev just calm down, you know, your boy's come through it, he's done all he needs to do, you don't need to do, you don't, don't need to go and fight the fight, he's done it on his own, I, he probably still went on W, but I, I, I can't remember, but it was, um, and it was part, I don't know what, what stage it was in that run, I think it was quite early on in that winning run, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Game three or four? Yeah, yeah, it was early. Something like that, and that was just the momentum, you thought, well, Aston Villa don't do fairy tales, but this year they do, um, so yeah, that was a, that was a, a, a you wouldn't want that. You wouldn't want those circumstances. No. But in terms, of if you get those circumstances, what a way to kind of uh, yeah. to answer back, I suppose. Yeah. I think a podcast guest, I think Steve Drive would be there. Yeah. He's another one who I've got on a really dodgy, uh, <laughs> a dodgy iPhone file somewhere. But yeah, I think he's um, definitely. We'll 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 try and do that because he straddles certainly you know, obviously the glory years but he straddles several several eras and as much as we perhaps never recovered or are waiting to recover from O'Neill leaving in the manner that he did I think I mean I'm 
I don't know what take a straw poll across the room I don't know what people think about Paul Faulkner I got on pretty well with Paul Faulkner and I think Paul Faulkner had the potential to be a pretty good administrator at Aston Villa but he would have benefited from two years two or three years working alongside Steve Stride to kind of get access to the contact book to find his way around football so I think Steve Stride's departure maybe not as big a blow as, as Martin O'Neill leaving when he did but it was a significant blow so I'd, yeah definitely we'll stick him on the list Dan alright <laughs> the penultimate question of the evening was to John and Ash were there any points over the last 12 months in, in the Steve and Gerard era where they wanted to ask a question but felt like they couldn't ask it to be fair we're quite I said we're quite good we, uh, <laughs> we do ask the questions that we want to know the answer yeah, to and to often you won't get the answer that you want so it's almost you don't publish it because it will be a case of the obvious but um, nothing, spring, nothing springs to mind you, you always press him in fact Gerard was really good as Ashton with the media I think a couple of times he probably got caught up with like the Ming stuff the Archer stuff but he was really good with us and he did answer everything media trained to a part I suppose but I, I can't think of anything that wasn't asked maybe we didn't press him enough on the kind of about your future early enough because I think the red flags were there we knew that it was probably going to be coming in a couple of weeks or whatever but I think as journalists if you ask you know do you think you're going to get sacked in a couple of weeks he'll ignore you for the next you know until, until he does go so you got to kind of you know watch what you say I suppose but that would have been to answer the question that would have been what I'd probably ask do you fear for your job closer? So, you're so wise, John, aren't you? <laughs> That's where I went wrong, isn't it? <laughs> Asking about the day of the unveiling. You know, you're on borrowed time, aren't you, mate? <laughs> and the final question from our Claret Blue Live Q&A asked about the relationship with Christian Perslow and Unai Emery. Obviously, Stephen Gerrard was Christian Perslow's man. Unai Emery is effectively Nasef Sawiris's man. So does that change the dynamic between the board and the management team? No, um, I don't think so. Maybe maybe it's a bit, bit, bit of a power shift there. I think maybe the owners previously trusted Christian's judgment with, with the Gerard appointments a bit too much. Whereas this time, I want him, I want Unai. He's my man. So I think that, that shifted there um, with, with that. But maybe they trusted Christian with, with that judgment. They're looking back now, made the wrong call there. And they put, put it upon themselves to... We'll, we'll appoint our own man this time and that's what's happened good answers good questions thank you very much for getting involved in that second half of the show because that would have really fallen on its arse if no one else put their hands <laughs> Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, and Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your thoughts and comments. We'll be back soon with another episode, but until then, up the villa. <laughs> <laughs>